This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again tonight for gathering us here. Lord, thank you for blessing us, Lord, as the rain is falling outside, Lord. So, uh, similarly, Lord, you pour out your blessings upon us, Lord, because you love us, because you care for us, because you desire to provide for us, because you desire for us to realize our dependence upon you. So, Lord, we, we thank you. Thank you for provision. Thank you for uh, commanding us and giving us the privilege to come to you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the comfort that comes with speaking with you, casting all of our cares upon you, the comfort that comes with knowing uh, that you are in control of all things. Lord, thank You for uh, the privilege of being able to bring all these needs before You. So much uh, sickness, suffering that we uh, are aware of, uh, that we hear about, that we experience. Lord, it's just a great comfort, again, to know that You are sovereign. To know that You love us and to know that you work all things for good for your people. Thank you for gathering us here tonight and giving us uh, the honor of opening your word before us and reading truth, being able to talk about it and understand. And we do ask as always, Lord, please Open our minds to it. Open our hearts to it so that we comprehend and so that it makes a difference in our lives. Enable us, we pray, by the power of Your Spirit, by the sanctifying effect of Your Word. Lord, enable us to do all that we do for Your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mike? Amen. Amen. Yeah, Mike's a real blessing. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Mike and Cindy have been, been a real blessing to us um, over the years. Did she sing? I asked her to sing. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, well, well, yeah. She's uh she can sing. She can sing. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. We sure did. We used to go go around the churches and stuff and sing. Uh Daniel and Joshua were pretty small at that time. <laughs> and their daughter, uh Rachel, was small. Rachel and April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do I need to mention this uh, ladies' night out? 
I know this is left over, but I mean, do I need? Does everybody know about it? I mean, those to whom it pertains. The lady. I guess it pertains to all of us because uh, we're, we're affected, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But the but the ladies' night out is still this Friday. This coming Friday, 6 p.m. Okay. That either says Pasadena or Bo- or P- Posadas. I think it's Posadas. <laughs> I'm assuming Posadas is right there. All right. First um, Timothy chapter 3. And uh, let me just say while you're turning there, boy, we had a great time. And, uh, well, it was just, it was just good. Everything went well. The hospitality of the, the church there, Parkwood Baptist Church, um, was really good. Uh, they they basically said, you know, whatever you need, if we've got it, you can use it. And uh, we made use of that. Now, you know, Leslie and I didn't have any. We, we were doing the, the uh, rehearsal dinner, and uh, we didn't have any grand plans, you know, but Joshua wanted everything just a a casual, western, western attire type thing, casual, Uh, except for some reason I had to wear a suit when we did the wedding, I don't know, but but when Leslie and I were setting the tables out for the uh, rehearsal dinner, uh, I I found a room, you know... (laughs) adjacent to the uh, fellowship hall there and open the door and there's probably about uh, 50 or 60 cowboy hats, uh, straw hats stacked. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff you could tell from uh, uh, vacation Bible schools gone by, you know, and banquets and that kind of stuff. So there's a stack of cowboy hats and a whole stack of these little, uh, I don't know what they're supposed to be, but they were they were kettles, you know, like you would, uh, like a kettle over a campfire, you would, but they were little small ones, so. So we used all that kind of stuff to decorate the tables. The Lord provided, and it was good. It was good. And meeting Brenda's parents was a real blessing, and her family. So. Yeah. 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 She was impressed with the. Well, the seriousness of it, for one thing. And, you know, and <clears throat> over the years, I've, I've, I mean, just like any, any minister of the gospel, over the years I've been asked to do a lot of weddings, and most of them I have turned down. Um, not, not because of, uh, you know, and I always try to explain to them real nicely. Um, it, it, it's, it's, I'm going to tell you something here that I don't tell them, but I mean, it's, it's not scriptural. This is not part of the office of a pastor or a minister. It is something that our government uh, uh, enables us to do, and, and that's great. I'm, I'm glad about that. But um, usually I won't do it because I want to know that both of them love the Lord. And so, even though this was Joshua, um, there, there was real evidence here that he and Brenda love the Lord and that they loved each other and that they're, they're, they're entering into this committed to God's glory and God's will. And even their pastor uh, told me um, 
you know, he, he, he did a little bit of marriage counseling with him. He said, because there's so many things that uh, people just don't think about when they're going into a marriage. And so he, so he said, so I like to just go through some of that. And, and he said, uh, but he said, I found out quickly that they had thought it through. He said they had put a lot of thought into it. And so, you know, that much more of a blessing maybe because it was Joshua, but, but that in any couple blesses me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a tremendous thing to see that, that they want to come together uh, in union, first to Christ and with each other, and glorify Christ in their marriage, in their relationship. And, and that's all a marriage is really about. And so when you leave Christ out of it, um, it's still important that you get married, you know, as, as far as uh, our laws and so forth, but uh, it, it loses the main thing. And so that's why, like I say, over the years, most that I have been asked to do, I've turned down because I want to know that they love the Lord. Um, but at any rate, so that so that that part of it was a real blessing. The church was a real blessing. They were... Uh, their hospitality, no problems. Thank the Lord. Traveling, uh, appreciate everybody's prayers. We we missed everybody. It's always fun to travel, but you know, but you miss being away, especially on Sunday and Wednesday and any other time that I would get to see some of you. Uh, you you just you just uh, you know, it, it's a little difficult to be away. So I'm glad to be back. It's a blessing. Glad that it went well with Mike. You know, years ago. Um, Mike and I came out of the same church. I'll tell this story real quick, and then we'll get started. Mike, Mike and I came out of the same charismatic church. Both of us were, were uh, ordained um, uh, through an uh, organization called World Ministry Fellowship. Uh, it's a uh, charismatic organization. And he and I served under the same senior pastor, but we were at two different locations. Uh, Leslie and I were at the uh, Elm Grove Church. And Mike and Cindy were at the Shreveport Church. Later, we got to serve together. But uh, we started out that way, so it took me a little while to get to know him. And the way that I got to know him was, well, a couple ways. One, we had a business meeting for all the ministers every Tuesday morning. So, so every Tuesday morning, all of us, we had three locations, and all of us from all three locations would meet um, to do the business of the churches. Um, and so... Of course, you know, we were, Mike and I and the others were, there was about eight of us, were seated around the table every Tuesday morning having coffee and donuts and, and doing the business of the church. And then I needed a job, and Mike had a uh, foundation repair company, Twin City Foundation uh, Company, and uh, he was looking for help, and uh, he he took me on. So then he and I... Rode all over this part of the country in the cab of a pickup truck, uh, talking about the Lord for for a few months there, and that was just a tremendous blessing. Uh, and he was, I guess, the first one that I really got to talk to about Calvinism, um, because you didn't discuss that in our church, <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, Mike was already convinced when I met him. Uh, he had, he had, during his time in Bible college, he he set out to write a paper um, entitled "The Validity The Validity of Calvinism in the 20th Century," and what he was going to do was refute it. 
And he was going to write a whole paper um, refuting Calvinism. And so he knew that in order to do that and to be intellectually honest, uh, what he needed to do was read Calvin's Institutes. And if you've ever seen Calvin's Institutes, that's not a small endeavor. Um, because of the size of it and because of uh, <laughs> John Calvin's brain. I mean, the language that he uses. It's one of those books that you have to, you know, have a, a dictionary, even though it's translated into English now. You, you've got to sit down and read it with a dictionary, practically. So, at any rate, he, he read the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin in order to make, you know, to get familiar with it so that he could refute it. And then he read it again. And then he read it again, and I don't know how many times over the years now he's read it, but he has never written that paper. And he has become thoroughly convinced uh, that uh, doctrine of election is true, and that God is totally, completely sovereign in all matters, including salvation of sinners. So at any rate, he was the first one I really got to talk to about all those things when I started, when the Lord started showing those things to me. And then we attended the Thursday morning breakfast for he, 15 years that I attended it uh, along with him. So over the years, he and Cindy have been a good, real blessing to us. I'm glad uh, glad it went well. Haven't had personally haven't had to have much fellowship with him lately, but uh, in several years now. <clears throat> All right, First Timothy chapter three. Um, we're still looking at. The uh, functions here in the local church, and again, keep that in mind, we're talking here about, uh, that's the context, the local church, what uh, order God has given uh, for things to, uh, to, to be in, to operate in the local church. And, and this, this, you know, thinking about marriage over the last uh, couple weeks or a few weeks or whatever, uh, it, it all goes hand in hand, and, I, and what I tried to do, and probably uh, sure did a very poor job of it, what I tried to do in the wedding ceremony was talk a little bit about what marriage is and just some simple facts about it. And of course, number one, I started with the fact that uh, we are created for God's glory, period, all of us, and then from there to the fact that marriage is all about the glory of God, it, it, it was instituted by God. The first wedding was a uh, product of the mind of God. It, it, it was not the product of societal evolution, like you will hear people say today. Uh, even, even some who profess uh, Christianity will say that, you know, because they, they adopt the whole, usually they adopt the whole idea of uh, evolution, period. And so along with that comes the idea of societal evolution. In other words, just over over time, we we learned how to do things better and more effectively. And so part of that um, was the marriage relationship. Somewhere back there, the cavemen and women figured out that if two of them got together and raised kids, you know, just just pragmatically uh, speaking, it, it, it worked better. But that's not the case at all. Uh, we, we know, according to divine revelation, God's own word, that... Marriage is, is an institution that he instituted. He uh, brought about the first marriage. And as I told them Saturday, it's interesting to me that the Bible begins and ends with a marriage. 
It begins with the marriage of Adam and Eve, and it ends with the marriage of Christ and His church. And that's exactly what the marriage of Adam and Eve and, and every other man and every other woman is, is all about. It is, it is to image that relationship between Christ and His church. That is the main reason marriage is. It's for the glory of God. It is to reflect the relationship between Christ and His church. Now, why am I saying all this? The topic tonight is not marriage, right? <clears throat> so, talking about it just because you just came from a wedding. Well, no, not exactly. My, my point is this. God sets things in a certain order to fulfill His will. And so, our role is to go along with the order that God has established. Whether it's marriage, in other words, if we want a successful marriage, if we want an effective marriage, then we must do things God's way. You, you, there is an economy established by God. You've got children, you've got uh, husband and wife, and the husband is head of the wife, and, and then Christ is the head of the husband. Right? All, all under God. God has set things in a certain order. And so if you want to have a successful marriage, we have to follow God's order. We have to do things God's way. Well, it's, it's the same way in the local church. If, if we want to have an effective, successful ministry as a local body of Christ, then we have to do things God's way. And He has established a certain order for the church, just like He has in the home. And again, uh, ultimately, when you get to the top, I'm going to say it that way, Christ is the head. Just like in a marriage relationship, ultimately Christ is the head. Jesus is in charge. It's all about Him. It's all for His glory. It's all about doing His will. Same way in the local church. Jesus is the head. He's in charge. It's all about Him. It's all about doing His will. That's not only true of the universal church. That's true of the local church. So as I said before, we don't, we don't have a body outside of Fillmore Baptist Church governing what we do here. There's not a bishop somewhere that tells us what to do. There's not a board somewhere that tells us what to do. Ultimately, the head of Fillmore Baptist Church is Jesus. And what we do here is uh, all about Him and His glory. Alright, so again, all that said, just to say that what Paul is laying out here is the order God has set, has designed for the operation of the local church. And we've, we've been talking about the different functions. Um, so here's going to be, this is going to be quiz night, okay? Um, what, what are the, the two main functions we're talking about, or offices, if you want to use that term, that we're talking about in this chapter, in chapter 3? Anybody? Elders and deacons. Elders and deacons. Yeah, bishop, and I know some of it's tricky, but bishop and elders is really the same thing. Uh, in this chapter, um, the word overseer is used, and if you got a King James like I do here, it's translated bishop. Uh, but it, it just means overseer. 
So, overseer or elder or pastor, same thing. So, there, there are two functions here we're, we're talking about. Overseer and deacon. Um, now, what I did a couple weeks ago was use two categories to put those in. One, leadership. In other words, author, authoritative. And the other category was servant. Which one fits where? And we just use the term elder and deacon. Which category does the, the function of elder go in? Leadership. That's right. It, it is a position of authority in the church. It is an authoritative position. Deacon is not. And, and it, it, it goes in the category of servant. That's literally what the word means. Diakonos is a, a servant. Uh, the word literally has the idea of kicking up dust. So you, you think if you're at uh, Ryan's or uh, Barnhill's, I guess it's closed now, right? But if you're at one of those places like that or Pepe's, wherever it is, and you've got a, a waiter or a waitress that's really, really good, um, and I mean they're hustling is what we would say. They're hustling. We 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 went to uh, IHOP this morning and had a good waiter. Um, it always makes for a better experience. And they're hustling. I mean, if they see your glass is too low, they go, let me, let me get you some more something to drink. You, do, you, do you need any, anything to go? You need butter for that. You need salt and pepper. You need cream for your coffee. They're kicking up dust. They're hustling. That's, that's literally what this word diakonos means. So it's the idea of a, of a good waiter, one that hustling. And the, and the word is used in Acts chapter 6 where the first deacons in the church at Jerusalem are chosen, and their function was to serve tables, to serve the widows, literally, with, with food. So they were waiters, servants. That's, that's what the word means. Okay, so you've got uh, elders or overseers and deacons. And... The function of our office of elder or overseer or whichever term you want to use, pastor, bishop, that's an authoritative position. The reason I don't like to use the term bishop is because, um, first of all, overseer is more accurate. Um, that's what the word means, episcopes. It means overseer, literally. Um, so that's, that's a more literal translation. But also we have groups like the... Uh, uh, Anglicans and the Roman Catholics who have an office of bishop, so it's kind of confusing when you use that term. And what a bishop in the Catholic Church or in the Anglican Church does is oversee a whole bunch of pastors, a whole bunch of churches. So he'll have a whole bunch of churches under his authority, and he oversees all of them, and then each church, each local church has a pastor. I don't believe that's scriptural. Every local church has their own leadership, right? Under the authority of Christ. So, you know, I, I, I kind of stay clear of the term bishop. I think it avoids some confusion. And as I said, uh, overseers uh, more literal anyway. So, overseers, deacon. Overseer is our elders' position of authority. Deacon is servant. Now, I'm going to read through verse 15 and. and uh, uh, we don't have a lot of time tonight, but I want to just consider as I read through here the qualifications. And Paul is talking about the qualifications first for 
uh, pastor or elder or overseer. And then secondly, for deacon, for servant. Even to serve in the church, even though it's not an authoritative position, you're still in the, in the public view, so to speak. You, you know, you're, you're still performing a function for the body and in the body. So even to serve in the church, there were standards. Because it's still, in one sense, is a leadership position in the sense that you're just out there as an example. So, first he has qualifications for overseer and then qualifications for servant. And as we noticed before, they're very similar. All right, let me read through these. There was something else I was going to say, and I don't remember what it was, but let's go ahead and read through verse 15 and... And uh, I'll end there, and you'll see that, again, Paul is making the point that he's showing us how to conduct ourselves in the church. Verse 1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop or overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer, then, must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons or servants must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also be tested, then let them serve, uh, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let servants be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, Though I hope to come to you shortly, but, I am de- but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Okay. Um, this is not either one of these qualifications for overseer, qualifications for deacon. It's not an exhaustive list. Um, Paul is saying these things are necessary, but, but again, it's not exhaustive. He's not listing everything. Uh, you know, there, there more could be said and, and is said in other parts of the, uh, of the New Testament. Uh, but these are necessary things. First, he says, an overseer must be blameless. Blameless. Now, I want to say something here because that, that's a good word to... Start with because that sounds uh, sounds pretty drastic, doesn't it? Blameless, can't have any blame. 
you say, where are we going to find a pastor that has no blame? Keep this in mind as we're going through here. We're not really talking about perfection. Uh, if we were, then obviously no one, including the Apostle Paul, would, would qualify. Pardon? Oh. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about uh, what characterizes their life, their general uh, character, conduct. Um, so you can think of it again as in terms of direction, not perfection. So, so this is someone who is without blame, uh, and, and he'll say more about that as, as we go through here, but... Uh, not somebody who can be charged with things like covetousness or, or drunkenness or uh, bad behavior and so forth. Blameless in that sense. An overseer must be not perfect, but generally speaking, their life must be characterized with these things. First of all, it must be blameless. Secondly, the husband of one wife. Boy, has there been a lot and is there a lot of uh, talk over that qualification right there. It's amazing. Uh, for one thing, how that kind of jumps out in the midst of all those. I, uh, that one's easier to do in one sense than a lot of these other ones, but and yet there's more emphasis uh, often placed on this. But let, let me say this. It, it literally, uh, the phrase is literally one-woman man. He's got to be a one-woman man. Now, think about that for a moment. Uh Probably all of us here have, have known of churches, uh, who, for example, who, who would disallow uh, someone to be their pastor because he had been, let's say, he had been married before. And they, and they go to this passage and they say, see, he must be the husband of one wife. Therefore, this person's been married before. Therefore, uh, since he's on his second marriage or whatever, uh, he's disqualified. I, I do not think that's what... Uh, Paul is saying at all, what the, not what the Holy Spirit is saying. Again, phrase is literally one woman man. Now, you could be, and I, and I think this is often the case, you could be married to one woman all of your life, never divorce, stay married 50, 60 years, and not be a one woman man. You cheat on your wife, or maybe you don't actually cheat on her, but you lust every lust for everything that comes your way, then you're not a one-woman man, even though you've never been divorced. What Paul is saying must characterize the elder here is that they are a one-woman man. And again, not just one at a time, although that is important. <laughs> but, but, I, I, but I don't even think that's what he has in mind here. He's just saying you've got to be totally committed to that one woman. Not just legally married to one, but really um, given to one woman. He must be a one-woman man. So he's got to be blameless. He's got to be a one-woman man. And... and Incidentally, uh, 
even, even if that were the case, that someone who has been divorced is disqualified, and I don't think that is the case, and they're saying even if that were the case, we would still have to ask, did this previous marriage and divorce take place before you were saved? 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That is all important. So, uh, these qualifications um, are, are, are applicable to a believer. And it, it's, it's not talking about what you did before you were saved, okay? It's since you have been saved. And, in fact, more specifically, it's talking about now. At, at the point that he's being considered. An overseer must be blameless. He must be a one-woman man. He must be uh, temperate, sober-minded. So, so you've got uh, characteristics of uh, stability there. Um, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior. Um, of course, uh, the idea of, uh, of, of maturity, mature in the faith. Again, stability. Um, hospitable. Uh, we, we talked about this word recently in Hebrews. It's the idea of uh, loving strangers. So just, again, similar, similarly to what we saw in Hebrews, you've got the idea of, of love for brothers and sisters in Christ, and there also must be a display of love for strangers. He has to be hospitable. And then able to teach. What's that? Number seven we've covered so far. Blameless, husband of one wife or one woman man, temperate. Um, and the idea there is, is just, uh, again, so, sobriety, sober-minded. Five is good behavior. Um, or that, that could be said orderly, hospitable, able to teach. Now, this is the one, and we'll probably have to stop somewhere right here, but this is the one that I was telling you a couple of weeks ago uh, makes the distinction between overseer and deacon, or servant. If you notice when I read through all of the qualifications, they're very similar. But this one is not included for deacons. Deacons are not required to teach. Overseer, elder, pastor, again, whatever term you want to use there, bishop, uh, must be able to teach. And the idea is that, that uh, he's, he's gifted. God has gifted him to teach. Again, Ephesians 4, uh, God gave gifts unto men. To the church, that is, he said in the church, uh, certain men with gifts, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor slash teacher, for the edification of the saints, that is, the building up of the saints, the people of God, for the work of service. So they must be, the overseer must be able to teach. Now, this is the primary function of an overseer. Let me just say this real quick and we'll close. I'm kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. 
Um, there are a lot of things that we have uh, tied to the ministry, you know, the, 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 the pastorate, eldership, um, over time. You know, things have become traditional, like marrying and burying. And some of the things are bad. Some of the things, like marrying and burying, are not bad. Um, but, but they're just not scriptural. It's just, it's just something that over time we have, uh, we have added to the office, to the function. That's, that's all fine. Like I say, some of those things, like performing marriages, um, I, I, I think of it as a great privilege. So um, it, that's, that's all fine. As long as we don't forget what the real function is, what the scriptural function is. And so oftentimes we will look at people and, uh, for example, we'll see somebody who's got a, a uh, uh, what we would call like a magnetic personality. Or maybe they're just really uh, gifted as far as business and so they would make a good CEO or maybe they're just a great speaker. They've got exceptional oratory ability. Maybe they're good at doing weddings and funerals and things. And we look at things like that and think, boy, they'd make a great pastor. And those things have little or nothing to do with what the Bible lays out as the function of overseer or elder. So, some of those things are fine. Uh, some aren't. Some that I just mentioned aren't. But some are. Um, as long as we don't forget what the real um, function of elder is or pastor is. And I'm, and I'm saying all that here because, again, teaching is, is, is primary to the role of elder, pastor, he must know and stand for the truth. It's all a part of, remember the little description I gave you before, a, a pastor leads, feeds, and protects. And uh, all of that uh, comes into play with sound teaching. So he must be able to teach. Um, Verse 3, not given to wine. Again, he's not, he's not characterized by uh, drinking or drunkenness. Uh, there is no, if there is, I haven't found it, there is no scriptural prohibition against alcohol. Uh, that, that, again, is a, I would say is, a, is an invention um, just over time of probably mainly well-meaning people. Um, but uh, if you notice passages like this, it is not forbidden, but the abuse of it is forbidden. As a matter of fact, Paul does instruct Timothy to drink some wine because uh, he had problems. He had stomach problems, probably from the water <laughs> that they had because they had bad water. And I was just reading something today. Um, it, it was common for them to to mix wine and water because... It, it had a neutra, neutralizing effect on both. You know, the water would have a neutralizing effect on the alcohol, so you, which, you know, of course we all know, it dilute it. But also the wine would have a neutralizing effect on the, 
on the uh, on the water because their water was so bad, the, the, the parasites and all. So Paul actually instructs Timothy to drink wine, but he says Timothy and any other overseer must not be given to wine. It says the same thing about the deacons. They, they cannot be given to wine. Their life cannot be characterized by drinking. Um, they cannot be violent. Uh, not a striker. And that really means uh, physically. <laughs> you, you know, that seems like that would go without saying, doesn't it? But it's, it's kind of funny to even think about. But uh, can't, can't be violent. Not greedy for money. But gentle. Gentle. And that but right there is, is very strong. He's making a very strong contrast. Uh, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. He must be gentle. He must be temperate. He must be sober-minded. He must be of good behavior. He must be gentle. Not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, that is a new convert. Very important. Another thing that is often uh, overlooked uh, today. Cannot be a new convert. Now, now, let me also say this, that it's somewhat relative. You notice Paul does not say... um, He's got to be saved five years before he can be an elder. Or he's got to be saved six months before he can be an elder. He doesn't say that, does he? So it is somewhat relative, and, and, uh, and, and I would assume it's just relative to the situation. Uh, if, if you went into an area like they were doing, as a matter of fact, in, in Paul's day, if you were going into an area where the gospel had never been preached, and you've got a brand new church, I mean, maybe 50 people, maybe 100 people, maybe 1,000 people get saved. Which one are you going to choose to be the elders? You got a bunch of new converts, <laughs> so 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 it's a relative term. You, you you would have to have in some situations people who were relatively new converts. Um, so he doesn't lay out a specific timeline, but he just says not a new convert. You need to pick uh, the more mature ones in the uh, in the congregation. So not a, not a novice, less being puffed up with pride. Here's the danger. Less being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, in other words, he's, Paul's looking out for that person's good as well here. He's saying that the danger is they'll be puffed up in pride, so you cannot uh, put, a, put a new convert in that kind of position of authority. It's too dangerous for them as well as the church. Verse 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony. That's kind of where we started. He must be blameless. must have a good testimony among those who are outside. So not only among the church, but he must have good testimony among those who are outside the church too. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So he's got to be blameless, he's got to be temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, um, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, not a novice, 
And he must have a good testimony in the community. Those are qualifications for elders, some of them. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. There are uh, other places you could go to in the New Testament and point out other things. I'm going to stop there, and we'll pick up with the qualifications for deacon uh, next time and then hopefully talk a little bit about how they're chosen. Um, how, how, does, how do our elders appointed are chosen in the church? How are elder, uh, deacons uh, appointed are chosen in the church. So you might be thinking along those lines, and if you want to uh, check some of that out, for example, read Acts 6. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. And Lord, um, look to You for help in all things that uh, You've given us to do. Lord, it's You who works the will within us to will and to do what You've called us to do. Lord, we pray, give us understanding in all of these things. We want to be effective witnesses in this world. We want to be effective in evangelism. We want to be effective in worship so that all that we do brings honor and glory to You. We pray that You'd make it so. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.